Welcome back to another episode of Function. I am your host, Tom. And I'm your host, Micah. Today we're talking about art and engineering. Micah, what have you been reading lately? Well, I recently got my copy of House Industries, The Process is the Inspiration. Well, I pre-ordered it and it came a couple months ago, but I finally got to read it. And so what kind of products do you get from House? I have been purchasing fonts from them for a number of years. Mm -hmm. They do really interesting retro and very organic looking fonts. You know, they have so many cool uh, revivals and they get the actual original artists to do them if they're still around. Oh, cool. So they're like Ed Big Daddy Roth. Oh, okay. So that's like an old, that reminds me of the old. Like comic books about drag racers. Yeah. There, there, there used you to go. be those. No, yeah, that's, yeah. that's him. Oh, and then there was like candy and there were stickers and cards. I think that was from sort of the Ratfink era. Yeah. Uh, that was So that would be what, 1966 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, probably about. And that's kind of their general vibe. Uh-huh. 60-ish, 70-ish. Uh-huh. And they dabble in the 50s. Um, but they also make a lot of products as well. I got a cool set of uh, wooden blocks that have all different techniques of water jet and laser and silk screening. And they're just cool little little objects. But the process is the inspiration is really, really interesting. I think you're going to enjoy it. This is I brought this for you for homework. Ah. So you can read it and then we might discuss it rather than... Rather than having you show it to me and show me the pictures. I'm showing the you radio. pictures. They're beautiful. <laughs> they're so pretty. Cool. The logo on the front of the house really says coffee shop to me somehow. It makes me thirsty for coffee <laughs> to look at the logo there. So they must be really good at logos because if it makes me thirsty for coffee when I'm already like absolutely tanked up on coffee. And it's 100 amazing. degrees. And it's 100 degrees, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're good. That too. Yeah, they're that good. That's pretty good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes me want that. And matter of fact, it makes me want the coffee that tastes like that logo looks, which is it sort of... Not like Starbucks, but that weaker sort of... Yeah, more a little more diner-y. Yeah, yeah, like a diner. But good diner, not not like a yeah. grody old pot. Right, but, right. Like, but yeah, but a fully mediocre diner. Perfect. <laughs> like a chain, you know, because nobody could afford that logo for one shop. True, Right. true. Your expectation. So it's a solid middle-of-the-road cup of coffee is what I'm <laughs> expecting there. Um, well, they, which is sometimes exactly what you want. That's true. That's true. They, uh, but fun, fun book. I think you'll enjoy checking that out. And I, I brought some other books too. One's really heavy though. Heavy. It's large and thick. Oh, that kind of heavy. This was not like Kierkegaard heavy. No, <laughs> this is um, one I got on a Kickstarter campaign, and uh, this is Lance Wyman's Visual Diaries. Wow. So these are just scans of his notebooks, which they're wow. visual diaries. And, I mean, they are literally scans of his work. And he would do design work in them. Um, he designed the, um, I think people know him most for designing the uh, Olympics in Mexico City logo. Done tons of other design work all over. Um, but he would just, like, tape little things in it, uh Polaroid pictures. Um, so it's it's an interesting view into somebody who does design work and is 
and how how their string of creativity goes and just their freeform note taking. It looks like he sketches with a black pen. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of just. I, I'm interested in those there's black a lot pen of, sketches. There's a lot of just black pen, and you know you have to make a decision when you're when you're sketching in pen. Yeah. You can't. You have to be decisive. <laughs> you have to be bold. <laughs> That's right, and and it and it's kind of self-editing. You know, you you really have to edit your thought. You materialize it and commit it to the paper, and that's it. It's not like my iPad. I get to edit endlessly, which I do. That's hard. It's hard to know when to stop editing. Oh yeah, that's a really that's good, really that's a really interesting idea. How do you know when you're finished? It's when you stop editing. Yeah. But I always have trouble with that, and so I always feel like a lot of things are unfinished or not worth putting in a sort of shippable state. Uh, that is to say, something you'd want to give to someone else because I feel like the editing's never finished, and so why bother finishing it? Yeah, right. And so, but then you just have to accept it's not going to be perfect. The, and and also, if you're going to give something to somebody, they don't have to know what your expectations for the project were. Hmm. So you, you, they don't know that you didn't fulfill every idea that you had. Um, they'll just see the finished thing and either like it or not. Oh, that's a good way to think so, about it. And unless you feel like you have to go to confessional when you give it to them and say, I'm uh, sorry, yeah, I, I didn't do that. that. You know, let me point at this one little corner. Yeah, I don't, don't, like. don't apologize. Don't, do yeah, don't yeah. apologize. Don't apologize for your work. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a just, piece of advice I've actually given people before. <laughs> don't apologize for your work. Just go with it. Yeah, and if the, if there's and if it's like for your job, they'll let you know if they need a revision. Hmm. And if it's just artistic and for a loved one. They'll probably just love it. <laughs> just the way it is, or at least they'll say they do. Well, that's true. Depends on your loved ones. My loved ones would definitely let me know. Oh. If it was... Tough crowd, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, they got the eye, so... Right. Ah, uh, yeah. They're trying to help? I, I think it's generally helpful. They're not trying uh -huh. to be mean. Okay. You know, it's it's a, a, cr a creative critique, so... Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm probably a little hard on people without meaning to be. Well, it's the thing when you just... I have that problem because I'm actually not very good at talking to more than one person at a time. Hmm. And so if there's more than one person, I start editing what's going to come out of my mouth before it comes out of my mouth. Oh. And then that gets... Then, then you have two voices. Then I don't. So you have your I don't. Editor voice and your actual voice, and they fight. There, there can be some combat, and I try not to. So that's why I won't. I won't give a critique. Um, if I've got more, if somebody wants a critique, I won't do that. I'll only do that one on one. Oh, okay. Then that's I, a good then trick. it's easier because I don't worry about what the other people are thinking. So praise in public, criticize in private. <laughs> I've heard that before somewhere. Well, it must be a thing. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think that's a management thing. Yeah, it's a rookie mistake to uh, to critique people in public uh, from a manager point of view. That's like mm -hmm. something they would teach you in manager school if you were to go if to that. If you were to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I but you, you just know it naturally. So it probably from hard-won experience would be my guess. Like I said, it's, it's mostly just avoiding that interior anguish and, ah. you know... 
the feeling of not really because what's the point of a, giving somebody a critique if if it isn't a true and honest critique yeah yeah and then another way to critique things is other than just sort of what you think about it or if it needs revisions is you can measure things oh true and in engineering we that's, do a lot of that it's very engineering and so we just like get out the ruler and say well you know that line looks like it's supposed to be straight but i'm not seeing straight here. right <laughs> and then and actually that actually is a little less threatening can be. It can be more. It's like, well, I don't know how to make that line any straighter. So you might need somebody else to come in and, and work on that because uh, it's as straight as I can make. Yeah, I have that. That's um, definitely an issue. And when people have applied the rulers, so to speak, to my work before, sometimes I've found it to be really harsh. And I'll, I'll just use the word ruler because that makes a nice... Uh, that makes a nice uh, sort of analogy for what I'm going to say. Uh, it was actually a different number. It wasn't a distance measurement. It was a different. It was actually in decibels. I came into work one day and uh, the guy said, "Hey, your your circuit doesn't work." And we'll just we'll just say my circuit didn't work in inches. And he says it's um, it's 0.04 dB off. And I said, "Really?" That's. <laughs> he said, "Well, yeah. This the spec is." is um, 0.05 and my measurement uncertainty is 0.02 so you get 0.03 <laughs> because I can only measure it to 0.02 and so your part's 0.03 and it's measuring 0.04 and so like it's 0.01 dB off what are you going to do about it so in this case <laughs> that would be you know like a hundredth of an inch or something right. like that we're talking about it's... really mi minuscule errors and it was that was a really rough day because I had to acknowledge that even though we didn't have equipment that could actually measure very well in this range, I had to make it more accurate anyway. It gave me this horrifying feeling of, of kind of like shooting in the dark, you know, where it's like, well, I can change some things, but I'm not going to have a really good handle on, on what I'm changing or why. But I did fix it with a C-clamp. <laughs> and so the circuit had a shield on it. And I, I figured, well, this, the, maybe the problem is the shield is just not doing its job well enough. And, and the shield has this thing where it's screwed down. And the tighter you... But it wasn't really coupled as well as it could be? or Yeah, it wasn't. It, well, it could have been several things. But I knew that when you tighten the, the screws on the shield that this number got better. Okay. And so I got out a C-clamp and I gave it the business. I really <laughs> crushed this thing big time and and it got better and I said aha so it's a shielding problem and so what I did was made not I didn't put the c-clamp in the product sure that would be bad um, but I improved the shielding in that area okay. of the circuit by adding a bunch of uh, extra metal uh, on the ground connection and that that uh, that caused the yeah that caused things to improve and so um, Sometimes a really low-tech solution to shooting in the dark is what you want. Um, you know, if you need to shoot in the dark, you might as well use a C-clamp. It's a good start. Yeah, well, it, I got lucky. It, it worked that time. It wasn't actually the first thing I tried, though. Um, but it was the first thing that worked, and so that's the one I <laughs> so remember. run with it. <laughs> it did. I did. There may have been more it. than one solution, but that was... Yeah, um, that was the one I chose, yeah. 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 
that's a way to do it. I could have used, I don't know, copper tape or something like that as another way, but the C-clamp was very satisfying. And I think I pretty much trashed the board. I think that the board, printed circuit boards are made of fiberglass, which is glass fibers and epoxy, and epoxy is actually plastic. Uh, and so if you... It's pretty brittle. Squeeze it hard enough, it will flow mm -hmm. uh, and change its shape. It's a plasticky. It, yeah, it's kind of mushy. And when there's a thing in plastics, when you push on them, they compress. And then when you let go, they come, they spring back. Sure, but it can. It depends. It can be slow. It not only can it be slow, it can be that they don't spring back at all. Like especially if you if you clamp it for a really long time. Uh, the plastic will flow, you know, maybe over hours or weeks or whatever. And then when you undo it, the plastic will stay smushed. But if you undo it right away, maybe it'll spring back because it hasn't flowed yet. So once you get it to flow, it probably doesn't flow back. And so there's this, so that's something you have to be careful of with plastics. And you see the same thing like scratching paint or something like that. Yeah, we we have a thing um, with the... Uh... One of the types of pickups that we make in the guitars is cast in a um, polyurethane material in a silicon mold. And when we install them in the guitars, there's a screw underneath. There's two screw. There's four screws. The so two underneath that set the height, and two on the top that clamp it in place. But it's clamped, so over many many years and tightening and then some people go crazy with the tightening mm. it gets that plastic deformation on the mounting flanges and if you we have done things where you take take out the screws and watch it and it takes a long time for it to spring back naturally but they seem to eventually do it wow um and or you could reverse it you know put change the positions of the clamping screws and the height screws and kind of put the other force into it, the opposite force. So oh, and get it to spring back. Get it to well, get it to nudge back the other way, okay. deform, deform more, but wind wind up more neutral. Wind up in the right place. Yeah. After. But it takes decades. Some weird path. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have old, you have actual heirloom electronics. Yeah. Which is not really much of a thing anymore. Um, for the most part, most stuff is sort of disposable and people always think of like cell phones or whatever. And the fault is it's, it's Moore's law. It's this idea that, uh, the number of transistors and everything keeps going up, but in your products, the number of transistors is remarkably stable, stable. Yes. Yes. You added some leads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and although and they what were, decade was that? Well, in the seventies, the, the first one had, had LEDs. So. Oh, it did. Yeah. Oh, the leads have been there all along. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. We were actually the early were, adopter of lead technology. Yeah, I mean, you could only get them from Monsanto. Hmm. The original red. There's one component available. Okay. So. Can you still get that part? Probably um, not. No, no, those those parts don't exist. I mean, you can sometimes find them surplus. Uh huh. And I do try to scoop them up when I can find them. Cool. Because. It's fun to do retro things or if you're going to do a repair on something old. Right. Right. Although you don't have to replace the LEDs very often. Usually it's some other failure of the LED, you know, in the area of the LEDs, like uh, refretting that somebody sawed through the wires that were under the fingerboard mm. that didn't know they were there. Right. And um, so it's kind of cool if you can get the original parts. Yeah. Yeah. New old stock. Yeah. Good stuff. 
So I was thinking about this this plastic and the flowing and the hardness. I was thinking about testing pencils. Mm. And so I Googled the pencil test or pencil testing. And everything came back talking about testing paint with pencil hardness. Have you seen this? Oh, I actually did. Yeah, I have okay. seen that. So have you ever done it? I have never done it, but I have I've seen I've seen using it to scratch, basically kind of scratching on the coating. Right. So you use pencils that are that are that I guess you I don't know if you start soft or start hard, but you you run the pencil along the finish. And if the pencil is soft, it won't scratch the paint. And then you just keep going harder with the pencil until it scratches the paint. That is to say harder, uh, you know, like H like uh Maybe you'd start with like 8B and then work to all your way up to like 2B or something before it starts to scratch. So uh, a harder pencil. But then I thought about, well, how do they know that you're pressing the same amount? It seemed like it was... Well, I mean, you, you could, you'd have to have a experiment set up that control for that. Exactly. Ah, okay. And then, but the other thing that's concerning about that is that the pencil hardness scale is not like a universally calibrated all two b's are not the same hardness that's true so it's only useful within those particular pencil scratch i guess they're for scratching purposes but those but between that those particular pencils everybody that i saw doing it used the statler mars lumograph Mm mm-hmm Probably because you can get a nice box of them. Yeah, and they um, have a lot of range. Yeah. The range, yeah. Yeah, they've got all the grades. All the great pencils. So I couldn't find anything about like engineering style testing of pencils. Like, uh, like this is what the pencil really does. Like you're talking about, like what you just said, which is that not all two Bs or HBs or number twos or whatever they are are the same. And so that's very unsatisfying to me. I don't like that from my engineer's hat point of view. <laughs> I want some sort of like test standard for pencil hardness and darkness. And I want like a, a sheet of paper that summarizes all of it and tries to sell me the pencil. There are so many variables though. Yeah. I mean, even... Well, what are they? Well, it even matters what, what paper you're going to write on. Okay, good. That's paper. that's a yeah. huge variable to, to... I mean, I guess you can have the pencil be a certain hardness... Even if it has the same, if they, if you can, if you could calibrate your pencils and have your two Bs exactly the same hardness, mm-hmm. they may not leave the same line on the paper because they're not necessarily going to have the same composition and the same amount of wax. Right. And same it, darkness. And they might be different darkness. So there's, it depends on what you want to calibrate for. If you're calibrating for hardness. I want, I want a really complicated <laughs> data sheet with everything. <laughs> I want all know, the things. I want all the data. Yeah, I'm used to. <laughs> well, I'm used to electronics. And sure. Where, uh, well, it started off, you know, originally. Oh, I suppose it was really vacuum tubes, uh, where there would be a couple of pages describing, you know, what the vacuum tube did and what it was for, and it had, it had this part in it called the filament that you would put six volts across or something. It would tell you how much current it would draw, and then it would tell you, you know, the gain of the tube and so forth. You know what. It, it had all these parameters and it would have curves, graphs describing what it did. And it's those things started off as a maybe a sheet of paper. And then they got really deluxe with these really fancy graphs with all different kinds of log and linear scales and lots of different curves. And it, you know, the drafting that went into these things was just incredible. And they were all inked, you know, Remarkable. because they didn't have 
plotters much back then, right? So even something like the graph paper might not have been printed. They might have actually drawn those lines, right? right. And so there would be a drawing board somewhere with somebody taped down and they were making, and, and actually some of them you could tell they were like clip art where they had taken a sheet of something else and taped it down because if you looked really carefully, you could see little artifacts mm. from that. But anyway, so these data sheets got to be 20, 30 pages long. And then transistors came along and they did more or less the same thing. They started with a sheet of paper. And then as people figured out what they wanted to know about the transistor, the data sheets got longer and longer. And now when you get into complicated integrated circuits, the data sheets can be a thousand pages long right. easily. Yeah. You know, just about one chip. It's a whole book, basically. Uh, and it's a thick book that no one ever prints out because they're all PDFs now. So I want that for pencils, right? <laughs> I, I, I want like, so we start off, we just have one number, you know, it's a 2B. You know, what, what the heck does that well, mean? Or in we, the case of a black wing, they don't even tell you. That's it's true. Like, it's just, just like, well, it's, it's something. It's uh, pretty soft. soft. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You should try it and see if you like it. Yeah, that's what it is. But no, I want to, I want a lot of numbers. I want to, I want to like really okay. overthink pencils. I think we should, I mean, this sounds like an opportunity a business opportunity? We're going to make money at this? We're going to make No, we're going to make not, a a, not, not an opportunity. Pencil? No, not that kind like of an that opportunity. Like that kind of opportunity. Like a work opportunity with no no actual return? I, it seems That's, more like play. Okay. Oh, that I'm into. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it seems more like a play, a play opportunity, something that, and a learning opportunity. I mean, you seem to really have this thirst yeah. for the pencil grading. Yeah, I, I need to know what my pencils so, do. Yeah, yeah. Because then... There's been many podcasts about pencils. And, yeah, and complete, yeah, complete ones that erasable, right? Right, and they're dedicated for years. So yeah, we're not going to be teaching anybody in this episode anything they haven't probably heard from those those chaps. But you do you do have all the other variables like how erasable is the line? What erasers work best Ooh, with that erasing. line? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Because I mean, that's why you. Usually that's why you have the pencil is so that you have that opportunity to erase it. That's a good point. And I think that so there could also be eraser data sheets. You could go the other way and mm -hmm. say, well, what kind of pencils is this eraser and paper is mm -hmm. this eraser good for erasing on? And then, of course, the paper data sheets for the paper. what kind of pencils go good on this paper. Right. And that's the situation with electronics. You know, you'll have a capacitor data sheet that says what kind of you know, things it goes with. And then the integrated circuit data sheet says what kind of capacitors you need to go with it to have their companions. You know, they're they're designed to work as a set. True, yeah, because a pencil just floating in space. Yeah, that's it's a, like... That's, that doesn't help, especially that pencil. And yeah, that, that pencil's been actually, floating in space for quite some time. It has, and this, this pencil here floating in space could actually be a weapon. This really could poke somebody's eye out. It looks deadly, yes. I sharpened... It's got, it's, I, <laughs> it's got a, like a little flared uh, point on it. It does. I I found it with the flared point on it. It's an old Staedtler Mars Lumograph 2886 6H hardness. Yeah. And it's got the little crescent moon on it. And, and we know why it survived, because it's a 6H. Because so it's a 6H, and it, and it was sharp it when I found it. And then I tried to sharpen it again with my new Pollux pencil sharpener, which I broke down and got and spent $18 on a wow. brass sharpener. I resisted a long time, though. They sold out immediately, and they sold out again. 
And then I just caved finally. Wow. But that's when I got you, your color pencil sharpener. I had to get enough to get oh, free I shipping. See. Oh, of course. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. that, that one <laughs> was like free shipping. six yeah. or eight bucks. So yeah, I bundling. Yeah, got to clever that way. Oh, yeah. yeah and they saw you coming. Totally. But yeah, this, this could hurt you. But the thing is, a pencil on its own isn't really that useful. And, and that's why the data sheets get really hard. Because you can have your your fixtures right. and it, this is how it works in this fixture but it you may find that despite all of your data your preference for what you use in your own in your different settings that you use a pencil may you may be able to extract some data from your sheets but it's still going to just be the how you feel about it it's it's emotional yeah that's, and tr- that's emotions true don't too. emotions oh. don't always fit on spreadsheets really well well, that's definitely true. So, yeah. so there's that variable. Well, so now you're getting into the usefulness of having said data sheet as opposed <laughs> oh, to just, my desire. Just, just having it. <laughs> <laughs> to have it, yeah, yeah. So because I've, I found this already, which was that I've, I made a bunch of measurements of, of, of a series of pencils. Did you make them on on a fixture? I did. <laughs> I used an AxiDraw. Ooh, that we picked up at the pen show. We I, went to the pen show. We went to the we went to the San Francisco pen show, which yeah. is not in San Francisco, but it's near it. It's it's close to the airport. Yeah. Which uh, isn't in San Francisco either. Yeah. But that's okay. And and I was amazed by that pen show by several several things about it. Just totally blew me away. And what impressed me, I was expecting to see a whole lot of fountain pens on tables and people sitting behind the table and selling them. And I saw that, and that didn't surprise me. <laughs> but what did surprise me was how nice everybody was. Oh, my gosh. Everybody was so friendly, even though it was dreadfully hot in that ballroom or whatever you would call that yeah, location. The, the air conditioning wasn't actually getting there. No. There were some and- doors. And that were open to an air-conditioned area. And that was the extent of the ventilation in were, that room. And also, just the extent, the scale of how many humans were there interested in these analog marking devices. I've seen pictures of pen shows for years, and I've wanted to go to this show for a long time. So I was super excited that we got to go. Actually being there and just seeing table after table after table and row after row after row. And they're full of people, and you have to serpentine your way through or turn around and go to the other side because it's just impacted there's there were so many people there there were plenty it was of full people. yeah it was it was great there were a lot of people but everybody was so nice and polite that it didn't really make a difference no because, like if somebody was in the way or had a stroller or whatever or or a walker people were just patient yeah i think pen people are patient though we have to let our ink dry sometimes <laughs> Yeah, drying ink. Wow. Yeah, pen people are amazing. Uh, I had no idea. Everybody was smiling. Everybody was happy to be there. And I didn't see any like any any sign of, of discouragement anywhere. No, yeah. no. And then it was super cool. We got to meet Andy from Erasable there. Yes. That was really cool. Very, and another very friendly person. Very. Well, he's from Indiana. That. Ah, Usually okay. is a good start. And then Brad from uh, The Pen Addict. The Pen Addict and Knock Co. Yes. So that was 
That was really fun to actually get to see them. I, you know, Andy, I've sent him a few weird pencils I found over the years and uh, I'm on the Facebook Erasable podcast group from time to time. It's so, almost enough to get me to join Facebook. It's it's pretty much the only reason why I'm on it. That and my cousins in Indiana. Okay. They made me. Ah. So. Yeah. Sometimes I think I don't exist because I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> you probably do a lot more existing because you're not on Facebook. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So. When I tell people that I'm not on it, they say, oh, you lucky person, you. I wish I wasn't on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and I ha- and I have to do it some for work, but I, I'm, I have a very low-key work one, so I don't. I'm not, like I said, that's like talking to a lot of people at once almost. So that's. Oh, I see. So you have to be careful. I have to be, I have to be careful. Well, what about right now? What we're doing right here? You're only talking to me. I'm it's only not talking. Like anyone's to... ever going to listen to this. Well, you know, I'm trying to get over that. But right now it's just you and I talking. That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's different from when we talk at Pearl because there usually is a group of people there. But those are people I know so well. Right. That. You know, and half of them I'm related to. Right. So that's so that's comfy. Right. Right. It's a comfortable environment. And so by Pearl, you mean the Pearl Users Group yes. that meets at Alembic on the last Tuesday of every month, uh, which is an amazing thing, uh, particularly if you're a Pearl programmer, of which are getting fewer and fewer and older and older, <laughs> sadly, because Python is the the next big thing the new kid on the block it's only i think 30 years old or something like that oh you know what though we segued right away from your plotter oh we did so but we yeah. did talk about it at the last pearl meeting yeah we did so there yeah. we go we can kind of round about that's true because i brought it in and was that uh, the first time you played plots. with it uh let's see it was because my dad thought he, th- he he really admired your restraint for not playing with it until the Pearl meeting. Oh, okay. <laughs> it might have been. I don't remember. I, I do remember having trouble with the pen up command. And the reason is because of the way it ships. One of the connectors is not connected. And I failed to read the directions because I was too excited. <laughs> and so I did get it, the pen to go up. And, uh, oh, that's right. I left. But, I had to leave before you had the pen go up. Oh, okay. So yes, that was indeed the first, the first try. Okay. Then, if if I was having trouble getting the pen to go up, because there are two things that keep the pen from going up. One is you have to connect the connector, which is no big deal. It's just the way that the connector sticks out a little bit, and so to keep it from breaking and shipping by having it bounce against the packaging and having that connector then get smashed and bent, uh, they ship it disconnected and it's no big deal to plug it in. But if you don't know it's there, of course, that's hard to do. Uh, And then the second thing to make the pen go up is that, well, up and down, is that, for example, if it thinks that the pen is already up or it doesn't, if it doesn't know where the pen is, it assumes that it's up. And so if you tell it to go up, it doesn't do anything because it thinks it's already there. So you have to tell it to make the pen go down and then doesn't do anything because it's okay, now I'm down. And then you make it go up again and then it goes up. So that's probably actually the hardest to use part of it is getting the pen to go up. And so that's always my test is to get the pen to go up. And then after I have that, it's 
Uh, the wind is at my back. I can I can make it do what it's supposed to do. And then, of course, what was fun at the meeting, too, was my dad unearthed his old Watanabe my plot plotter. That was heavy. And brought it down. That thing is, oh, well, because the platen is like, it has to be flat and solid. And then it's got some pretty decent motors. Yeah, the Axi draw is pretty lightweight that way. Yeah. And it doesn't, well, it's... And it's it, a smaller... It has a platen, but it's just a piece of, what, particle board or yeah. whatever. Um, it's Masonite, it, I think. It's a, yeah, Masonite, is, but it's a separate piece, and it's just big enough to hold a sheet of paper. And it's not, you know, super flat, or at least not anymore. I was wondering about, yeah, how do I keep a piece of paper flat on this thing? I could see with the... And then I started looking at flats. I started looking at, well, oh, I need a slab of granite, of sure, course. Sure, that's very flat. I have some. I have many pieces of flat, like for optical grinding. Yeah, yeah, you use it for metrology, for measuring, like in a machine shop, in order to know how big a part is, you set it on a really super flat piece of granite, and then you have these little uh, gauges, feeler gauges, mm-hmm. or I think they call them, or uh, dial gauges usually. And they're, they allow you to say how high above this, this flat thing does this part go. Uh, and you can go along the profile of a part and find out how big it is that way. Uh, and it's always referenced, it needs, but it needs to be referenced to something. And so people reference it to this super flat thing, which is, oh, I don't know, a good one, maybe a ten thousandth of an inch is, a, is sort of where they start. Sort of the low end of how flat are you is... is um, a ten thousandth of an inch. And those granite slabs are also, they're not just flat. They're very thick. Um, they tend to be yeah, very why big. why are they so thick? Because they want them to be dimensionally stable. Oh, so they don't... So bend. they don't change oh. their shape. They don't change their size. Mm. And um, so when you do those high-precision things in optics or um, the old printed circuit board drills... Mm-hmm. We have two of them because we're weird. We had to build the building around them. There are these huge tables and they're enormous chunks of gabbro granite. They don't have, um, what is it with that? I think it has lower quartz in it. Hmm. So it's just, but anyway, they're, they're real dark, dark granite. But the whole idea is these are like 30,000 RPM spindles with little tiny drills to make circuit board holes. Yeah, they can be very small. So they have to be very high, you know, absolute accuracy, not just repeatability. So the table is made out of the granite. The uh, the beam that the spindles are suspended from is made from granite. Oh, um, okay. And they are heavy. And the, even the little optical benches, you know, maybe it's only a, uh, I don't know, 18 by 16 plate size that you put your workpiece on but it's four inches thick or three inches thick just real chunky yeah i was looking at these these slabs of granite on amazon um and then i i slowly backed away from the computer they're they're thicker than the granite countertops that people four, install in their kitchens four inches yeah and some of them have a little step mm-hmm uh i guess that's so you can clamp something yeah on, yeah uh or yeah, would you? How do you mount things to it? Is it like with an edge clamp, or do you drill a hole through it? Or? Um, you know, I've on on the uh, drilling machine, they do have like the beam is braced in. It's got like clamps on either side, 
that brace it in and so parts on the outside that grab on mm-hmm. as opposed to going through yeah okay but i'm sure there's all different ways you could mount you could probably go yeah, through cause, it because what i notice is uh, so i was putting down the paper for on the axi draw and i was trying to be accurate and there'd be a little wrinkle in the paper mm-hmm. and so i would you know try to get the wrinkle out by lifting up one or more of the corners and getting it to go back down and it would never i could never seem to get that last wrinkle out did you see the little magnetic clamps on the my plot platen how that worked no i it didn't had, see them it has these strips of aluminum that mm-hmm. have magnets on the ends okay so you can you you put two of them down in the middle and then you kind of squeegee them to the ends and then they're held on to that metal base so it doesn't move around when you're when that plotter gets roaring because that that thing can whip around and that helps you keep it smooth and of course using a heavy enough paper it's hard if your paper is real flimsy right it's not really great for plotting i'm using 80 pound okay paper i think that should be i got some of that hefty enough paper Uh uh-huh number 18 that's not what you showed me in your tests it's a4 well there's also engineering paper right which is but the other paper the white paper there is the rhodia oh okay and that i just got yesterday at riley street and it's been pretty good i like that paper it's it's the first time i think i've purposely bought a4 paper i'm really more of an eight and a half by 11 kind of person yeah. Uh, but this number 18 was uh, it seemed to be the close thing, and it was fun. I I was a, I so when I was in Inkscape, there's a paper size that you set because in order to plot on the AxiDraw, I'm using the Inkscape software to do the drawing, and that's been interesting because there's a lot of restrictions. You can you can draw a lot of things in Inkscape that you can't plot. Uh, an example would be a bitmap. You can put a bitmap in Inkscape, okay. and the AxiDraw doesn't know what to do with that. And it turns out some of the drawing operations in Inkscape cause the vectors to turn into bitmaps. Okay. And so you have to be careful not to do any of those operations. <laughs> I haven't really learned all the all the variants on on what's possible. And the error message that you get from the from the axi draw software is a little bit unfortunate it would be nice if it said before you plotted hey there's this thing i can't plot in right here, and this is what it is and maybe even select it in the picture so that you know like i just selected it and turned it red or whatever to show you that yeah you're gonna have to figure out a different way to draw this but instead, it plots until it gets, until it gets stuck, there. and then it throws you an error message and says, hey, I found something here that doesn't look like um, I recognize it. Yeah, but so it would have I to go up. through yeah. the whole file first and yeah. have a delay in starting your plot. Well, yes, but think of the excitement when, when you know, there's finally... this uncertainty. You know, <laughs> how long, oh, I think this looks like a three-second picture, you know, to check, because um, I have a lot of lines. I think it would check quite quickly because... Um, the SVG is a really nice format for checking mm-hmm. because it's an XML format. Oh, okay. And XML is famously nice for checking. Uh, that's all. That's kind of what it's for. Is is not only 
it's you can check how the integrity of it you can see that everything uh, that the file isn't corrupt is very easy to test in SVG and the parsers are all designed so that as soon as anything goes wrong it just stops and says exactly where it had a problem uh, and that's actually what the axi draw is doing it just happens it's already spun the motors around when it's doing it so yeah I would like the software to to be better that way I was really nervous about the um, about the axi draw software and I was talking to uh, the guy from Evil Mad Scientist Laboratories who had a table at the pen show. Uh, so we had Wendell there, and I think he made the... I, it sounded like he wrote the driver. Yeah, that's what I understood. He said, no, you'll like the driver. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, at least I know who to get in touch with. That's a lot better than any other device I've ever bought. Right. Uh, where if, if I didn't like the driver, I didn't have anybody to yell at. So I figured, well... <laughs> I've seen this guy before. I see him around at shows. He's a great guy. Sure, I'll try his driver. So I plunked down, got the show discount on the the Axie Draw. And now you had set a threshold I had. that there was no way you were leaving without one if it yeah, met 20%. it. Yeah, 20%. And they, said, they if, saw you if, coming. If there's a 20% show discount, I will buy it. And the, I, we got there and the discount was 20% and I bought it. So I paid $425 that was the lowest price they'd ever offered it. That's they what said. he said. Yeah, yeah. Although I think that was probably for the version three because I think the, ah. the earlier versions might have been cheaper. But I think the version three is worth it because it looks like they've really gotten the problems out of it in the sense that the hardware has been just really trouble-free. Um, I've had no problems at all with it. So you and made I really him like what it does. You made him smile. Um, by having him do the test with your oh, Apple yeah. Pencil. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I said I said I wanted him to draw on a tablet. And he happened to have an iPad Pro with him. And he put little rubber feet on the iPad Pro so it wouldn't slide around because he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Smart fellow. And he uh, hooked his pen in and plotted the Evil Mad Scientist Laboratory's logo right on the thing, and then showed off by switching the color and drawing on top of it again. And it was pixel perfect. It lined up, and the registration, the repeatability was absolutely amazing. It was it was shocking, and I think he was expecting it, but I think him he really, he was beaming when yeah. he saw it. Like, <laughs> how could he, how could you not be so happy with your... Your your little baby doing so well. Yes, it showed very well, and so that was that got me to, uh, it, yeah, that sucked the credit card right out of my wallet, and I I was able to get this fantastic deal on the AxiDraw. Now there's also a Python interface for it, and that is in a private beta, as he says. And so what you do is you send him an email with your serial number in it, and he'll. It'll give you a, an expiring link to the Python driver. So I did that, and and I think I did it. I was, I think it was like, it was way past midnight. I don't know. Maybe it was one o'clock in the morning when I sent this email to him. Now I don't know if it was him or his little robot, but I very quickly, well, probably not a robot because it wasn't like two minutes later that I got it. It was like a half an hour later. Okay. It was like one o'clock in the morning when I got it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm working with a pretty small company here. This is um, this is pretty amazing." Small mad scientists do their best work. Oh, of course, yeah, right. 
Yeah, why would you start before midnight? That's that's when they let the monsters out <laughs> is at 10. So, yeah, you can't really get started until the monsters come out. Yeah, that makes sense. Nocturnal. Evil mad scientists are nocturnal. Anyway, uh, so now I, I haven't tried the Python driver yet, but it has a lot of controls that are not in the Inkscape. It, it seems like it's it's very nice, and I'll be able to make it do whatever I want. And maybe if I get ambitious someday, I'll I'll write a driver for it. But the driver that it has looks like it has a lot of really nice physics in it that have to do with controlling the pen or pencil or whatever. Because uh, particularly when you're going around a curve, you have to mine the acceleration in addition to the speed because you know when you go around a corner you can't just turn on a dime like if you're if your pen is flying along in a straight line and then you and then it just stops dead and turns the corner you'll get a little overshoot unless you take care to slow down before you hit the corner and then you can stop and then you can turn the corner and so that sort of thing is actually relatively difficult to code and i think that's a lot of the strength of the plotter is the software that actually implements that I think there's a lot to writing that driver there, and so I think he probably put a lot of work into that. And I'm I'm pretty I pretty much agree with him that it doesn't suck, although there are some features I would like to change. And I I also um, really liked your observation about having a plotter that you could use a pencil with. Yeah, I can erase. Right, erase your printout. Yes, I can <laughs> I can print something out and then change my mind after it's been printed which I've never been able to do before because I've never had a plotter that could use a pencil. I don't know how we'd apply it yet, but it's an option. Well, for example, if I draw out a schematic, an electronics, oh, right. and I change the value of a resistor because it needs changing, then I can just erase the value and put in another one. Okay, we have to try it with a Pentel P203 pencil to see, because then my dad can actually make more schematic documentation for me, because he will only write in that pencil, but then he can do revisions Okay. right on it. So we, we have to try that. Yeah, that, that'll work. We can get that to go. And we can enter his schematics. There's some really nice schematic programs that are easy to use. Now, the trick is going to be to get SVG out of, output out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I may have a little bit of code lying around that can do that. Yeah, that'd be fun um, to I'm a CAD kind with. of a guy. Uh, it's a it's a day job thing. And I have, uh, I really like the XML format. I really like SVG. I've done various, you know, read in the CAD and output SVG. And one of the things I like about SVG is you can look at it in a web browser because it's one of the file formats mm -hmm. that web browsers know about. And of course, everybody loves it because it's vector and you can make beautiful pictures with it and that are scalable. So you it's don't right get in the name. bitmap pixely things. Scalable vector graphics. Yeah, we like it. Yeah, and an interesting history of, of sort of how it was created and, and the conflicts there really say a lot about it. We'll get into that someday. What I, what I like about the the vectors and and doing that is I think we can probably use the schematic editor in LT Spice, uh, which is a PC only. Does he have a PC? He does have a PC. He's yeah, he's not exclusively Sun anymore. Okay. Yeah, he's a Sun workstation guy. Yeah. And and rescues them as if they were distressed animals on the street. Yes. Uh, he, he, he he will he, go he, and, he... and salvage someone's. Someone's uh, unwanted computer for them, yes. which is amazing. So the software runs, and it's relatively easy to learn. 
and it has a circuit simulator in it, but you might not care about that. Although it would be useful uh, perhaps to see that you've drawn it correctly is to run the simulation button and see if the audio signal actually makes it through. Right. Intact. Uh, yeah, that would be <laughs> amazing to see. Uh, and in fact, it can output wave files and input wave files as a voltage source. So you could actually listen to the electronics. And that might tell you also whether or not the circuit was drawn correctly. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't have the subtlety of the sound, but it would, you know, give Just you a confirm. Rough, yeah. Yeah. See, you know, this is treble, this is bass sort of a thing. So at least you label the knobs correctly. <laughs> that would, that's one of the important things to do. So you could draw in this, and then it has a plain ASCII format that's not SVG. Uh, that it has, and I know how to parse it, and I have a I already have a program that emits that format. I don't have one that reads it, but I have one that writes it. So we might be able to do something with that. Is it in Perl? Is it in Perl? Some of it is. Yes, yes. It it was before my my conversion to Python, and so yes, it is a Perl program, and it deals with that format. I think I may also have it written in C, of all things. I got interested in how much faster a C program was than a Perl program is because I had some processes where I was translating entire libraries of symbols with you know thousands and thousands of symbols, and it would take, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes for some of the steps, or one of the steps took almost two hours. And I could do it in C in about 10 seconds. And so I thought, wow, well, that that C stuff is really amazing. And it turns out uh, Python has the same problem. It's, it's, it's much slower. And you can always do things like you can code part of your, the critical part of the program in C and then the rest of it in Perl or mm -hmm. Python. And people do that a lot, but it's almost just as easy to write the whole thing in C at that point. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, I digress into my CAD job, which is all too easy to do. It's probably why I still have that job is because it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Well, you get paid for drawing. I do. Yeah, I get to draw things. Mostly using a computer, though, which is not my favorite way to draw. Uh, I like pencils. And speaking of which, I want to test some pencils with the AxiDraw. And I, I started, I made some, some pencil tests. And one of the things I had heard on the uh, Erasable podcast was that it's really hard to tell the difference between like a 2B and a 3B pencil. You don't really need, you know, all the different pencil grades. And so I, I took that as a challenge. And so I tried testing like a 2B and a 3B pencil drawing the same thing. And of course, I had to start from the same amount of sharpness. And I said, yeah, you know, I really can't really tell much of a difference between those two. That's really true. And then I drew all of them from HB to uh, 4B. And I looked at it and I said, well, I can definitely see the scale now. I right. can definitely see that it, you know it's darker on the right. And I can order them. You know, If I were to shuffle up the papers, I would have no problem okay. putting them in order. Even though if I just look at a pair of them, it's difficult to tell mm -hmm. which one is darker. If I can see the whole scale, then it's easy to tell what the order should be. And so that was sort of weird. That was something I hadn't run into before of, of two things being harder to compare than five things. But I also did some black wing uh, pencils, and I was able to put them on the scale. So now I know so now how you can, hard a black wing really on is the, on, on, the Statler scale on the Statler scale of darkness. Right. For this one sharpness, for this one type of paper. With this one calibrated. With this, yes, with the one pressure. Right. Uh, and I increased the pressure on the AxiDraw by adding weight to the pencil. 
Ah. And that's something I need to learn about the Axie Draw is how much weight I can put out there before I bust it. Um, so I'm going to have to get What, what did you do so far? Them. Well, I've... I've what did, how did you weight your pencils down? Washers. Three-eighths inch... Uh, washers for three-eighths inch bolts. And those are nice because they fit around the eraser of the Blackwing. Okay. <laughs> uh, the the quarter 20, you know, the quarter inch washers for quarter 20 bolts fit around a regular pencil, but they're not as heavy and they don't, but they don't fit around the, the Blackwing eraser. Anyway, big secret now. The Blackwings are 3Bs. 3B. Yeah. And they seem for to... which For which Blackwing? They're all the same. You got the same on all of them? <laughs> Even the pearl? Yeah. Really? Because yeah. it seems so much darker. Well, it may be. I don't know. Um, there's preliminary results. All right. Um, I was really maybe surprised. I, maybe I write harder with them because they're, they, they're a little softer. Well, this is the funny thing is, is that I have all these Statler pencils and I, I like the, the look and the precise feel and I like the blue and all of those things. And so I know I could just reach for the, the 3B Statler and get the same line. But I don't want to have it in my hand as much as I want to have the Blackwing Pearl in my hand because that pencil, my hand wants to hold that pencil. It, and so I just like it. And I, so it doesn't I agree. matter what it is technically. It's the one I want <laughs> in my one, hand. That's that, exactly. Now that pencil, um, I don't know what it is. I think it's the, um, it's got that semi-hex. So it's the, the sharp corners are knocked down a good amount. And the lacquer is just feels delicious. Yes, in your does. hand. Yeah. It, it's well, very it, satisfying. It could be that. It could be some technical aspect of the pen. or, And it could also be like the color and the design and all of that is just pleasing mm-hmm. uh, to put in your hand. I mean, there's, it's it's hard to say. Um, we'd have to sharpen the edges <laughs> on the Blackwing. Or maybe, maybe we, right, could we could get could... one in extra large and then machine it ourselves and figure out what we like about it. Um but or maybe we just appreciate the the fact that they've made these fine pencils for us to use and we should use them. That's that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah, because for two bucks, you know, you get like a really nice. It's pencil. a really nice pencil. <laughs> and and that's totally worth it. So yeah, I guess I guess the uh, Axie Draw told me that even though you can know things, sometimes you don't need to because like I want to use the Blackwing. So that's all there is to it. At the uh, pen show, did you pick anything else up? I did. I, I bought some pens, some fountain pens, which are amazing. And I bought some ink. I got red ink. I Speaks love that red. red ink. It's really, really nice. It's so, it's so good. Uh, and so I inked up. Now, what was that kind of pen again? I forget the name of the a brand. Jin Hao. Okay. So it was a really super cheap, cheap. <laughs> pen from China. I believe I paid three dollars because yeah. I got it out of the. <laughs> not only did I go to the bin of the to the to the booth of the place that had the cheap pens from China, but I went to the bargain bin. And the bargain bin at the end of the day. At the <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I think I had the minimum spend there of anybody who walked away with fountain pens. I got two of them and spent six dollars. I have a few of those pens, and I they're really. I mean. They can be hit or miss, but when they when you get a good one, they're they're nice. The one I got is fine. <laughs> and now I see what all the fuss is about because I tested it with the AxiDraw. Uh-huh. And I compared it against rollerball pens and ballpoint pens. 
and it is amazing. I mean, even the $3 fountain pen has an amazingly beautiful line in the finished result compared to any of the other pens that I like. Like, I like the pens that I like. I've tested a bunch of pens, both for using um, normally, you know, just what do I like having in my hand and also for what line they leave. And I'm a big Jelly Roll fan. I like the Jelly Roll 08s. Uh, I have the black and the red and the blue. They didn't have a green I liked. Uh, so I got the 08s of all of those, and those make really nice lines. I like them really thick and, and colors really saturated. They're very bright colors. I like that. But the fountain pen is just amazing compared to that. Like You look at it and you say, well, yeah, I see what all the fuss is about. This is an amazing set of lines. And then you have the opportunity with the fountain pen to pick the precise shade of red that you enjoy the most for that application. I went through a lot of inks there because I had an ink testing station. A few of them. Yes, more than one. How many inks do you think you tried? Boy, easily over 100 inks. I was going to town on those ink stations. Yeah, I think I tested over 100 also. Yeah. And I don't think I got to 200. Yeah, I think it was, I was too warm. I think I was around 100, and <laughs> probably in the 110. Because each one of those were what 40? Were they 50? They were nine or? by nine. They were 81. Okay. So. In each one. Oh yeah. And they had a lot of things that were like, well, this is green or something, and then it's like this, basically dark gray with a little bit of green in it. And, right. And I, I can see where you might want that, but. There's nothing I was interested in. So I was really focused in on the bright, vivid colors and particularly the reds. And the one I found was Thief's Red. And uh, it was just fantastic ink. Uh, so I picked up a bottle of that. And it was, I think, $15. Um, I, I, I was happy with that. It's for an ounce of ink, I guess, is a relatively standard amount yeah. of ink to get in a bottle. It is, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a good a good bottle. And then Micah showed me how to how to um, put the ink into the pen, which is something I needed to learn how to do. And I dipped it all the way in past the the bits at the end with the the little feed. Yeah, what, uh, the feed is the sort of porous part. Mm-hmm. And then there's the nib, which the, is the steely part on top right. or whatever metally part there. And then the next part is some sort of plastic. The section. The section? That's yeah. the section. So this it goes. The section goes into the ink a little bit. A little, yeah. And then you do the little knob on it that, that has a little piston and it draws the ink into the tube. Yeah, you get like, uh, I don't know how big the chamber is in that, you know, how much ink the, your pen holds. More than it is probably strictly required. The first time I did it, I didn't put in very much at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seemed to write for quite a while. Uh, so I, I, But it did run out, and so then I put in you know, a full charge. Yeah, the, the perfect amount of ink to put in your fountain pen is the amount that you will use before you have to actually clean the pen because it uh, starts evaporating and getting it's, weird and cruddy. Ah, cruddy. Right. So you can't park it too long. Yes. Yeah. So it's been it's been getting a lot of use. Yeah, using Suzanne's is good. Suzanne's been using it Ooh. too. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. 
so yeah, she likes fountain pens. She's decided. So now I I, I have an idea for Christmas. Excellent. Oh, don't tell her. Oh, Ooh. she's gonna edit this. <laughs> there may be a pen in it for you, Suzanne. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, so the pens and they, and, and the AxiDraw can hold the pen or pencil or whatever at, it has two different angles built in, or you could build something to hold in at whatever angle you want, but, uh, it has, a it's about 45 degrees. I don't know if it's that exactly. It holds the pen at a good, at a nice angle though. And I was able to draw uh, with it uh, without any trouble at all. Good flow. And I got an perfect flow. It didn't skip. It didn't run. It didn't blot. It just did exactly what we'll it needed have, to do. We'll have to try it with one of the stub nibs that are... A more challenging nib? Well, you know that it's a, it's a broader nib so mm-hmm. that when you do your spiral test, you'll get varying line widths. That would be really interesting to try that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've been looking for a, a, a straight up and down fountain pen, and I haven't found one yet. Uh, that's a rapidograph pen is one of the forms of a plotter pen. Um, but I would really like a fountain pen that, that, and I think they make, I think there is such a thing. I think it's called a ball nib. Oh, like a speed ball. Maybe. Uh, are those, I don't, is that a dip pen? Maybe it is. Um, anyway, uh, I can dip because I can put a little, um, you did dip. I did. I actually (laughs) done dipping. Yeah. It can dip. (laughs) Yeah. Because you just draw a little spot over on the side and you put a little container of whatever it is you're writing with off to the side. I tried um, paint. I tried paint with acrylic paint. Acrylic. Yes, it is acrylic paint. And um, I did, and I got a, a little round number. I think it's a number zero paintbrush. It might be a number one. And I drew a little spiral to get it to swish the paint around. And then I had that go out to the paper and, and drew little spirals out there or little lines. And I didn't get anything that's sort of usable yet, but it's just an experiment just because I it. wanted to see what would happen. Right. It's fun. Exactly. You can learn. Uh huh. I'd be in danger of learning something. I managed to not spend any money at the pen show, which is remarkable. I was overwhelmed. You had too much. I couldn't decide. Cool. I, I could not decide. Although I did decide that finally that the, I am sure I'm saying this pen wrong, the Kaweco Lilliput pen. Kaweco, I think. Yeah. Kaweco, yeah, probably yeah. the V. The Lilliput pen is too small for me, even though I really want that fire blue finish because it's so cool. You showed me that pen, yeah. I said it's I've, too small. I've been lusting after it for a long time, and and you can put you can post the cap on the end. You have to, it's threaded, so it's unthreading and threading. And for a pen in my pocket, that's too many steps because I need I got an idea right now and I need to like whip it out and get it down on the paper. So I don't want to go through all that unthread and thread to get ready to write. It's possible to make a push-on cap that's amazingly good seal there are some good ones i i found this out just recently because when i was doing the painting project i unearthed my old one of my old stashes of art supplies that's i probably have not touched in more than 20 years it's probably been at least 25 and maybe 30 years since i've 
I've touched this shoebox full of acrylic paints and mm -hmm. brushes and so forth. And it had some markers in it. And so I took out a marker and it was like a, a barrel. Uh, it looked like the flare pen, you know, old school felt tip. And so I try that. It dries a bone. Uh, well, that one's no good. And then another one I thought, well, I'll just, you know, it's like a highlighter or something. And that was, of course, dry. Yeah, the highlighters dry out really fast. And then I picked up a Crayola washable marking <laughs> pen. And I unsealed it and wrote just like it was brand new. Wow. And Go I thought, Crayola. Well, that's that's got to be a fluke. And then I pulled out another one, and it was the same way. And <laughs> and it was it was so amazing. And so I, I looked carefully at the cap. And how did they do that? Mm -hmm. And it had this certain taper in it that just made a really good seal. And it wasn't like I jammed the cap on there or anything. It was just the normal. No, actually, yeah. When you think about how those Crayola markers are shaped, there is like a very gentle bullet kind of a taper to. Right part that's under the cap yeah whoever designed that knew what the heck they were doing design yeah how about it was that? actually designed somebody actually <laughs> understood how to seal something <laughs> and they designed a pen i'm i'm actually surprised <laughs> that crayola would do that i think that for their business model they would probably want to design it to not fully seal because then you'd have to replace them i think they're counting on their their customers to not recap them and lose them because yeah their their customer base is usually yeah they run young yeah yeah, yeah they're not always the most they're not the cautious kind of people right they don't think much about that <laughs> and they they tend not to be the financier of the art supplies true but they are they definitely are a stakeholder in the whole process they are yes. they they help make the decision <laughs> that's true that is true they can steer the the spending yes yes yeah but they're not the the financial customer no uh, <laughs> the financial buyer yeah they're the the demand generator but not the the buyer right so when you lose your cap and the pen dries out you don't blame crayola right so they're harmless and you don't feel bad about replacing your pen. Yeah, and planned obsolescence is not a thing. It really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna get some inks that I found at the show. Oh, what did you find? But I I I have to I have to think a little bit more. So the same brand of your Thief's Red, which I have to get Thief's Red too. Uh huh. And what um, brand is that? I forget. It's K-W-Z-I. I don't know if you're supposed to say that or if it stands for something. K-Z-W-I. Yeah. So. Quizzy? Quizzy? I don't know. Quizzy. Quizzy. But they had this grapefruit color, which was kind of a really beautiful orangish red. But it's still it's still a good red. Uh -huh. It just has a little something, a little flair. I like the Caran Dash Hypnotic Turquoise. That was a really arresting shade just bright and brilliant and pretty and i I'm, I'm looking for a good brown good brown we were i looked i looked we looked at a lot of browns cuz yeah. i want to we on our paperwork for work that we fill out with a guitar usually mary or i will handwrite all the information about what woods it's made out of 
and all the features of it. And it'd be really nice to have a nice brown, like a woody brown to go with it. But browns tend to be either chocolatey, which is a lot of shades, of course, mm-hmm. or like more organic feeling. Organic. <laughs> like brown number two? Yes. So there's not, you got to be, brown's a tricky color. Yeah, 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 it is. So. And it's not in the rainbow. No, it's not. But ink isn't light anyway. Right, right. It's down but, around the other end. But yeah, so I don't know. I found one. I found an Ackerman Hopius Bruin. Oh, that sounds good. And it, that looks, that has potential. Well, I like the name. Yeah, and it's not too dark. Because if it's so dark you can't tell it's brown, I might yeah, as well might just as well use a black, black pen. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm still on the search for brown. I got some other browns that I have already, and I'm just not... You know, they either look kind of, like I said, either really dark or they're light enough where they look kind of just thin and cheap. Maybe and you I, should mix your own. Oh, I, sh- I could do that. Some You can do some ink mixing. You could, you could start with orange and just start going <laughs> Just start dark. getting it darker so I could have that rich... It's, it's almost like the... I always like that kind of... What do they call it in the paint set burnt umber burnt umber yes yeah there was kind of a light and a dark in burnt umber burnt, yeah and if you took those two and mixed them together the burnt sienna is the lighter yeah, yeah you could it, it, if you mix those two or three together you could always find that brown in there somewhere you know if you're drawing like a tree trunk or something like right. that you could always and and even well actually in oil paints you, you even want it to not be perfectly mixed you know to give a little bit of Translu- you're gonna want to keep that translucency to it. And well, and you want it to be to have a little bit of texture, or at least I did when I painted it on. Maybe that's what I was doing. Optical wrong. mixing. Paint. <laughs> Optical mixing. Optical mixing. I, I always thought of it like striped toothpaste. Oh well. You know where it would have different extruding. colors in the <laughs> in the thing. Yeah, I don't think you can do that with ink. No. I don't think they made striped ink. Although they make glitter ink. Glitter ink. You can't. You know they do make. There is a, I think it's Pilot that makes a parallel pen that you can load up different ones next to each other. Oh, cool. Striped ink. So it is oh, kind of striped ink. Oh, I could have Yeah. Just, I'm kind of I a bad influence a on you. I want to draw candy canes, so I need red and white. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so you can, or you could, or you could, I guess you could strap a few together, make your own. Be a little, little difficult. No, with the I, fountain I want pen. somebody else to solve that problem. That sounds really hard. <laughs> Actually, I have some ideas for making nibs, but I'll save those for a, a future time after I've after I've built a few things. And, and if I can get anything to work, I'll I'll have my adventures in nib making. Uh, I, I think how hard could it be? You know, I have a feeling that it's not exactly easy. Uh huh. There are limited places that do it, and 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 then it's not just making the nib. Maybe making the nib isn't terribly difficult, but tuning it and making it ready to write. Ah, making it something you'd want to use? Yeah, see, so you can make it all day long. Right. But do you want to write with it? Well, I don't need to write with it because I can just let my axi draw do the writing. So it's making one for the axi draw. Yeah, yeah, my axi draw needs Mm -hmm. nibs. Uh, Vertical. have nib ideas and and it actually the somebody at Riley Street helped me with this concept 
she said, well, you just like we have these chunks of bamboo and you just carve whatever you need Mm -hmm. and then dip it. And and that got me thinking. It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, they use like bird feathers for this. Right. Quill. Right. I mean, you can use like you have a variety of choices here. And so fundamentally, you have some sort of capillary. Right. Where the ink is going to flow. And it's going to be drawn on the paper wants the ink. It's going to it, it sucks. The yes, it's ink thirsty. Right out of the pen. Yeah. Uh, and and then the ink itself, uh, you know, it's got the right it's designed to <laughs> want to do that. So it's not like you're fighting things very much. You just need some transition between the the reservoir of ink and the paper. Right. Now, it has to be able to put up with the variations in pressure, and you want it to do things like if you press harder, you want it to be darker or something like that. But that's more for people uh, who are... Uh, Variable. Yeah, who will want to express themselves somehow as opposed to a machine that wants to just be consistent. Follow your directions. Right? So so I could imagine having just a little steel tube. You know, it was hollow that just had the ink in it, and when you put it on paper, some would flow out. Right. So if I just, like a hypodermic syringe kind of a thing, right? I mean, I, I could just take a a little tube and, and run ink through it. it. Now, that would tend to inject in the paper and it, make it would, a hole. It, right. <laughs> and <laughs> so, it would tend to... So you need to do something. You need to address the end somehow. But I have some ideas on that. So um, And some ideas for different materials. Um, but the bamboo was really got what got me started was the idea that you could use bamboo for a sure, pen. Sure, sure. Which I, I guess was ink come from that part of the, the bamboo part yeah. of the world, right? Yeah, there's... Uh, they probably use bamboo. They use paper for a pretty long time. You could probably there. carve... You could imagine carving a nib sure. out of a piece of bamboo that would look just like a fountain pen, right? Yeah. Because you can carve... Bamboo is really workable. It is. It's great. And, and, it's, um, and it's really consistent, you know? You can, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Material. It's fun to carve. Yeah, yeah. So now I, I just need a whole set of carving tools. I, uh, I got you covered. Oh, you do. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> You're gonna save me a fortune. I'll set you up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds great. I think I think I'll try that. Okay. So one thing that is not okay. Watercolors. My mom does watercolor painting. And she's always been very careful with all of her artwork to get high-quality acid-free papers, um, gets high-quality pigments for her paints. But then something we found out is that certain colors like rose matter are not very light fast at all. And they Mm. sell them as professional. You can go to Riley Street and get professional watercolors and they will put in some they're not all of them have the same light fastness right. of course i mean that that's obvious because of the different pigments but some of them are horrible hmm. so there's this guy who did these did these great uh light fastness uh tests oh you can test it yeah yeah that's, so what does he test it with light what kind of light sunlight Ooh, sunlight. Sunlight. Well, that's nasty stuff. It is, and it's what you're likely, it's one of the things your painting is likely to experience at some point in its life, too. Um, So he has this entire procedure. This is at handprint.com. 
I don't know if he's active on this website anymore, but he's left all the findings there for everybody. So you can see what his tests look like, how he set it up, explaining what he means by light fastness. And I'm sorry, the color, the color that my mom loves the most is not rose matter. It's alizarian crimson. That color. Crimson. Oh, reds are hard. That color. And his, his finding, I'll read it. This pigment is unsuitable for professional artistic work, period. It has been confirmed in every ref, reputable light fastness test conducted since the late 19th century. It's not a new finding. <laughs> you're just supposed to know. You're just supposed to well, know. if you look at this website, you will. You will know. Yeah. So, so he does, um, anyway, he's got... Uh, so is there any repair to a painting that had non-light fast I mean, I suppose, watercolors in it? I mean, I guess you can try to... Add more? Add more paint. But, um, might be hard. Might be pretty hard. So it's pretty good. It's a good idea to just not... Don't use that. Don't use the colors that and, and especially, aren't light fast. And watch your reds, right? Because aren't reds some reds of and, the, and, the hardest? Reds and blues too, right? Mm. I mean, although I guess blue is not so much light fast, right? The ultramarine blues were um, acids. Lemon juice will just take them away. Mm. Um. Well, wait a minute. If you put acidic ink on acid-free paper, what mm, does that right. cause an issue? Probably. Yeah, I um, think I've heard that. I, th- I think I've seen in some of my old notebooks the the paper was fine except where I had ink on it. Uh, and it's like holes. Mm-hmm. So you can still read it, but you're reading holes. <laughs> <laughs> or actually... It just looks like the paper's falling apart there. It kind of looks like that, you know, like a a stencil. You know, it's only around one of the edges. But I know you like data sheets. Oh, look at so, that. He's made a data sheet. Oh, these are, for the, he puts so much work into this. Yeah. Look at these tables, all neat and lined up in rows and columns. Oh, that's great. And he has all different. And it's um, a beautiful website. He's got the it, graphics and a nice clean layout. It's quite useful. Wow. And this is this name of this. We'll this, put a link to this. Yeah, this is handprint.com. Handprint.com. Well, this has got to be a model for the... Uh, for the pencils. For the pencils, I think, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that it could, it's an inspiration to you. I think it is. So. Because he's, he's got probably got the same issues with like, well, what about different paper and mm-hmm. so forth? Sure. Different ways of applying the thing. So 800 hours of sunlight exposure... Which, if there's any fading, some of them have no fading at all, even after that much direct sunlight. Okay, so what does he have? Like a test thing where like half of it gets exposed? Yeah, and, and half of it's doesn't. unexposed, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and uh, just the, the volume of work here is remarkable. <laughs> well, the, the cool thing is to be able to take this volume of work and reduce it to one graphic, mm-hmm. or one table, one chart, so that somebody can just look at it and understand it at a glance and get the benefit of all of the work that you put yeah. into it without having to go through the same process themselves or without losing their artwork because they had a problem with it. So is there a, like a, it's a ne- next we need like a Yelp for, for pigments, <laughs> for right? For pigments, right. <laughs> yeah. It's like one This star. actually yeah. kind of is. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Um, I don't see his stars rating though. He needs No, like a, yeah, it's not simplified yet. Yeah, yeah, he needs the... Yeah, because he's rating transparency, staining, value range, diffusion, hue angle, hue shift, 
light fastness. That's the, that's I found yeah, it from looking at the light one. fastness. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and granulation because some some of the pigments right. have more um, are less yeah. transparenty. They have more gritty looking to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway. Oh, I think almost all of this would apply to pencils because. Well, staining is kind of your erasability. Yeah. So. Yeah, we can map it. Direct analogies because, uh, I mean, well, they're both you know additive processes that don't completely cover up the thing underneath right. them. Like if you look at a pencil line through a microscope, you, you, it's amazing that you can actually see the line <laughs> because there's not much. It's not stuff a line <laughs> that, that got left behind. Yeah, it's not a lot of things um, <laughs> on the paper, which makes me want to do pencil microscopy uh, as well but that that'll be a different day well this is really cool yeah so this will be this will be fun to uh to do more and he's got imagery on there as oh, well so yeah. he's got some really nice pictures there and he's a really good artist as well he he's he's also a watercolor artist wow so anyway something something to time? enjoy and he's in sebastopol no kidding yeah I, so wonderful. We might even get to meet we'll him. Probably run into him at someday. some point. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have to buy him um, a dinner at some point. <laughs> uh, so uh, the little pictures on there, do they blow up? Are those are those the full size? Or um, are, are there? Is there any um, like zoom in and see what the texture really is, sort of a thing? On this on this page, I'm not seeing it. I thought that. There are a lot of pages on this website. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll have to go through so it. So you're going to have to just sift through it some, but there are some pages that you can, the pictures will enlarge pretty well. These are pretty small. Yeah, small but, but it, informative. But, it's, but it, it gets the job done exactly. Yeah. So here's the very culprit, Alizarian Crimson Light Fastness samples. Yeah, that's that seems to be the... In 300 hours... The tints in all samples have completely faded. Mm. Windsor and Newton all right down the line. Well, it, from the look of it, this might be what inspired his measurements. <laughs> he had trouble with it because I don't see this level of detail on the other, on the other ones. But yeah, the they colors. They. Uh, but this is a smoking gun for the non-light fatness of this exactly. pigment. Exactly. So. Anyway, that'll be fun to see how we do that with pencils. Yeah, well, at least I I think maybe light fatness won't fastness won't be an issue. No, it really won't be. Unless yeah. we learn something new. <laughs> so discover something about <laughs> maybe the paper underneath graphite. yellowing or something. True, there's that. I don't think there's a lot of reactions between the pencils and the paper. No, other than being erasable, it's more archival than inks for sure. Can be, yeah. Um, yeah. it can really, it's not going to go anywhere. Where the ink, most of the inks will fade over time. Right. I mean, long time. Like those Gothic English manuscripts that you sent to me. The link. Uh, Medieval couple weeks away. Yeah. 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 That's you can great... you can see some of the fading in that too. Yeah, you can see quite a bit. And every now and then they'll get something that has all the colors, all right. the full colors, and it's just totally amazing. Some fluke of preservation it was perfect <laughs> and so you can imagine what all the other ones probably oh my gosh like. glorious uh, uh and you could probably guess and 
digitally restore them. Mm-hmm. No doubt it is. Many have done it to many of those pages. Well, and there there's amazing resolution at that particular website, uh, the British Royal Museum. Their digitized stuff has, uh, if you keep clicking on it, it keeps getting bigger. Yeah, and the pages can take a long time to load because they're really... <laughs> are huge images. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, they're big. Yeah. And you can see all the way down to the grain in the paper and, the, <laughs> and, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sending that. That was great. That's amazing. All right. This has been another episode of Function, the podcast about art and engineering. See you next time, Micah. All right. See you later, Tom. <laughs>